Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the 343 Podcast. My name is John Pronich, and I am your host. And on this episode, I talk with Gary Kleiben. Gary, along with his brother Brian, started 343 back in 2009. Since then, they have amassed over 300 written articles, hours and hours of game and training footage, and thousands of subscribers to their online courses and social media accounts. Gary frequently reminds me that I was one of the original readers on 343 and tells me the story of when I first commented on his then unknown blog. He was getting coffee and remembers seeing a comment notification pop up and saying something to himself like, someone's actually reading the stuff that I write? Well, since then, I've been lucky enough to have many in-depth conversations with Gary covering topics ranging from soccer to exploring the universe and literally everything in between. I've recorded a couple of those conversations, some without him knowing, and after months of trying to get another podcast episode recorded and released, we finally did it. In this episode, Gary opens up a bit, which is important because it's very easy to forget that behind the Twitter screen is a human, someone who experiences joy and pain just like you and me, someone who has aspirations, and someone who has fears. Gary is an extremely deep thinker. The long pauses you'll hear between questions and answers are him calculating his next move. The guy doesn't even order food without fully evaluating the situation around him. It's kind of funny. Uh, But just to paint the picture for everyone, it was pushing about 100 degrees in Southern California that day. Gary and I decided to record on the patio in his backyard. I traveled light with just a backpack, computer, and microphone on this trip. We sat several feet away from each other, and you'll hear the rustling sound as him and I passed the mic back and forth during the conversation. Now, if you're looking for ways to get in touch with Gary, start with his Twitter. His Twitter handle is at 343, so at 3, the word for, F-O-U-R, the number 3. And if you'd like to see more of the work that him and Brian have done, check out 343coaching.com. That's the number 3, number 4, number 3, coaching.com. There you can sign up for one of the online courses or just poke around and watch some videos or read some of the older articles from the past. Okay, with that... We're going to jump right into the conversation with Gary Kleiben. Enjoy. Okay, we're at 343 headquarters. And we are going to do a follow-up interview. We've done this once before. It's been a couple of years since uh, Gary and I have sat down and, and recorded a conversation. We've had many conversations. Um, but it's been a while since we've recorded one. There's always new stuff, new exciting stuff that's happening changes man i think brian's been through two teams since the last time we uh since last time we talked um but uh for the people that are joining us for the first time or never listened to the first podcast how about like a little overview of what 343 is right now yeah so hey hey everybody so uh yeah 343 started out as as a blog where you know, Brian and myself just started writing, uh, you know, about our experiences in soccer. And, you know, both of us have been in the game since, you know, we were able to walk, essentially. Our parents are from Argentina, so naturally that's that's the sort of thing that ends up happening with South American boys, you know, that you get thrown into the fire with a soccer ball. But, um, yeah, long story short, this, this blog, this website uh, got started in 2009, and little by little, the audience started growing. When things really uh, exploded was when we uploaded our first YouTube video. I think that was in 2011, if I'm not mistaken, maybe 2012. And 
that YouTube video ended up going viral. And, and the video was on these U11 uh, boys that Brian was coaching at the time and had them playing just incredible, you know, possession-centered football uh, that you don't really see in the United States very often. You see it quite a bit in, in Spain. Uh, and it was very high-level stuff as well. So all the players are technically proficient. Uh, their soccer IQ and, and tactical knows, you know, Brian helped forge a lot of that to, to have the players play the way that it was represented in this 12 minute video. Um, yeah, the video was 12 minutes long. It, was, it captured worldwide attention. Articles were written about it. Books, you know, authors, you know, approached us and wanted to interview us and we got into people's books and that's where the audience kind of exploded, you know, and now we're at the point where, we have all these products and services, you know, to educate the coaching community with. How has 343 changed since day one? And I guess specifically, what were what were some of the driving factors for those changes? And, and maybe what hasn't changed? What's been a what's been a constant? And what do you think will always be a constant with with 343? Well, for me, uh, yeah, the constant is always just the passion, the fire, this, there's something just inside of me, you know, and I think, you know, hopefully you get to talk to Brian as well. It's, it's very similar there too, where we just want to keep going. You know, a lot of people or some people get involved in the sport and they do enjoy it and they do gain a, a great appreciation for it. Some of them are even practitioners of, of the sport, be it players or, or coaches, and sometimes that passion kind of dies out for whatever reason. And that just hasn't happened with us. So as far as a constant's concerned, I think we're going to be here for a very long time with that, that drive, you know, to, to improve ourselves, to learn, and hopefully to help others along the way. So that's kind of the, the constants. Uh, what's changed, I think, is what started out as just, a, you know, an outlet for us to get a little bit of our thoughts out there, you know, what was traditionally known as a blog. Uh, now that term kind of has some negative connotations to it. It's, it sounds, you know, when you th say the word blog, it sounds like amateurish and, and that's just not the case anymore. We're more of a, a professional organization. You know, we have uh, staff colleagues and, and partners that have joined in to really take this to a different level where again, it's about educating the consumer and educating our colleagues and forming a, a larger community. So that's kind of what's shifted. You mentioned that there's staff, colleagues, partners, but we're, we're, we're still small. Mm -hmm. We're still small. Maybe has there been an opportunity to, to go big? Why or why why not did did you take that opportunity and 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 maybe describe the team a little bit and 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 the roles that that people play? Yeah, so I guess I'll, I'll start with the latter. You know, so what the team the team is. So obviously yourself, you're very deeply deeply involved. You're one of the originals. Um, when when the site first got started, you were among one of the first commenters on the site. So we're talking about 2009 here. We're in 2016. So seven years into it. You're still here and, you know, obviously you've come on board and you've helped launch and organize and direct and conduct uh, some of our services. And those are like player camps and the coaching conferences that, that we've had two now under our belt. 
and your role keeps expanding, you know, and, and that's credit to you. You've decided what you wanted to do, you know, and, and hopefully, you know, we try and support you as best we can by knocking down obstacles and barriers. This podcast is just another example. So, so there's yourself, there's Joey Cassio, who now is an LAFC, the MLS Academy, right? They just launched their, their new MLS franchise. So Joey Cassio, he's an Academy coach there. Uh, Daniel Rogers, who was a former player of ours, is now at the LA Galaxy Academy as well, doing some good work there. And, you know, they've helped 343 along the way tremendously by executing player camps and doing a lot of stuff just behind the scenes, you know, that people doesn't necessarily get out to the public. But, you know, we convene regularly. We we discuss the game. We discuss uh, how we can evolve, how we can grow 343. And and there's a lot of emails written, a lot of content that's been generated by by those gentlemen, too. Then uh, uh, there's Choco Jose Gomez, who played for us while he was a youth player, who then went to Creighton, killed it at Creighton for four years, Division One soccer school, a powerhouse as, as far as the NCAA is concerned, was one of the three Herman Mack uh, Trophy finalists, which is like the Heisman Trophy for soccer. And had a very brief, uh, short professional career in Mexico because in the American game, you know, he didn't get a shot. Um, and we, that's something that we discuss a lot about, right? Uh, the technical characteristics that we like and, and the general American coach has issues trying to fit that type of player in. So he was a very technical, intelligent player that wasn't picked up by MLS. So he went to Mexico, played there for close to a year. Now he's back uh, here in the States. And he's doing a lot of work on the graphic design side of things for 343, on the video editing side of 343. So those, those are the key inner circle sort of guys. And then there's just a lot of uh, great people, great colleagues that are more on the periphery helping us. Uh, but it, it hasn't gotten to the point where they're public facing quite yet. Um, I, I think, I don't know if you... If I've answered your question. So that's kind of the inner circle. And yeah, we're hoping to grow. Oh, yeah, you mentioned so opportunities, you know, that. So yeah, like when, when the video went viral ever since then, so we're talking four years into it now. You know, as the audience grows, there's different people in your audience and they reach out to you and they want us to do clinics, you know, and or want us to organize coaching trips overseas or organize coaching things here local to us. Um, start a club of our own, you know, with teams of our own or parents want advice. I mean, and they want a partner, you know, because they bring certain competencies as well, be it software development, be it graphic design, be it uh, a travel agent, you know, be it a player agent, player agency themselves who, who are aware of our player pool and maybe want to work together with us. So there's been a lot of back and forth conversations and, I'm kind of at the point where I have so many dishes or plates spinning that I can't say yes to everything, you know? So you have to be very careful, pick and choose, because if we spread ourselves too thin, then we don't do anything uh, remarkable. We'll do everything kind of average and half-assed, and that's not what we thats not what we want. Obviously, one of the big components of 343 is your brother, Brian, and... Uh, do, do me a favor real quick just describe brian 
fuck's sake i don't <laughs> describe ryan six two 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 hundred pounds i don't know man uh just yeah uh, charismatic guy knows how to get well uh, get along well with pretty much every walk of life you know be it a a I don't know, professional player, you know, who's played Champions League ball, uh, his interactions there, like they love him, be it a professional coach that he's learned from or, or is a colleague with. They really appreciate, you know, sitting down with him, chatting with him, uh, be it his own players, you know, 18 year old all the way down to a 10 year old. If there's engagement there, yeah, the, he knows how to connect with people. He has that sort of charisma. And they just want to work with him and, and follow him, you know. And, and I think also that comes, I don't know where that comes from. We can have this discussion of nature versus nurture, you know. But I think when you're very driven to be the best you can be at your craft, you learn a lot along the way. And when you learn a lot, then you have a lot to offer. Couple that with experience. And I'm not just talking about you know, reading a book or reading online stuff or consuming content that others have produced. I'm saying actual real world experience that that just forms this reservoir of experience and knowledge that you can always dig into and have a great conversation with. Uh, yeah, like I said, from a six year old all the way to a Champions League player, he can communicate with them on, on their level. Now, when you guys talk about the teams that Brian has coached and, and that three, four, three has been a part of. And, and, and that's what's in the, in the videos and the eBooks and there's photos and all kinds of information about these, uh, these players. It's typically a conversation of we or our players. Uh, you and Brian are very similar people. Uh, the company is based off of, off of you too. I'm curious though. What, what do you think are the biggest differences between you and Brian and, and how do you guys, uh, utilize those those differences for progress no i think we complement each other really well so while i've coached the game in the past i'm not a day-to-day -day coach on the field anymore my day job is you know teaching physics at the university that's what pays the bills and as you know john and as i i'm sure coaches in our audience are well aware that coaching soccer doesn't do a great job of paying the bills you know it's a very uh humble lifestyle right especially if that's what you want to dedicate to be your full-time job so i never made that my full-time gig but brian did you know and brian suffered quite a bit you know trying to work his way up the ladder and earning very little very little you know surviving on scraps um so yeah he's dedicated his life to the craft that is soccer and and at this moment in time you know coaching the game and while i have focused more on the education side of things that is not on the field you know so while he's coaching players i'm trying to figure out a best way to coach the coaches and since coaches across the country across the world can't you know, be with us face to face on a daily basis in another medium. And that medium is obviously online. So how can we be like a, a digital colleague or a digital mentor as best we can? So I've had, I've had to learn a lot about the technology, how to deliver, uh, how to produce, 
those sorts of things. So that's how we complement each other. He's on the field and, and I'm off the field. And when you combine those two things, I think you have, you know, not the whole package because we still have a lot of holes missing that we're trying to fill out with, with your help and other people's help. But yeah, I think that's the primary difference as far as the context that is 343 and, and our roles. Since we're on the topic of, of everybody's roles and, and, and who's involved and, and, and things like that, I, I kind of want to transition into something that I, I think about all the time. Uh, one of the first books you ever recommended to me was written by Seth Godin. And Seth talks a lot about tribes. And I've heard you talk about tribes before as well. Maybe de- describe what, what tribe means to you and, and, and how you apply that directly to 343. Because I, f- I feel like that kind of maybe paints the the bigger picture of who else is is involved. Yeah, and this kind of touches on a previous question you asked about, you know, how come, you know, we haven't gone like mainstream, you know, in air quotes. And it's because, you know, we, we have a certain way of viewing the work that we do. And we believe certain things. And we want to stick with that, you know, and to, and that's not going to appeal to everybody, you know, but it will appeal to a certain set of, uh, of coaches or, or pa- players or parents or media people who, who our message and our, our way of viewing things really resonates with them. So going back to Seth Godin, yeah, and the concept of tribes, we just want to serve our tribe, you know, people who, who... I don't want to say agree because we don't have to agree, but we just want to offer what we offer, you know, and let the chips fall where they fall sort of thing. And if we want a, a broader mass appeal, yeah, there's strategies that we can implement to do that. And, and we're doing a little bit of that as well, um, because I don't want to say it's a disservice for us to kind of neglect everybody else. But at the same time, we, would, we just don't want to compromise our values and what we believe, you know, sometimes online and can get pretty crazy with all the anonymous accounts and, and people who may not, you know, like you very much or don't agree with what you're saying or have some interests of their own to protect. And we're diametrically opposed to that. And, and they'll say things like, Hey Gary, like why do you have such a hard line position on what you believe? Why not just like tone it down or change the tone of the things that you write or the content that you put out there? You, you'd be so much more successful, right? Um, which is true, you know, or, or, or they'll say something like we're hard line because we want to gain attention. That's our attention getter. And, and that's just not true at all. Because if we wanted mass attention, we would, yeah, we'd compromise. You know what I mean? We wouldn't take a hard stance on anything. We'd be like, yeah, you're right too. And oh yeah, you're right as well. Um, it's just our opinion after all. And, and, try and make ourselves into a vanilla and and we'd have 10 times the business and 10 times the audience if we did that so the attention getting thing that's just completely off base uh i know that we're keeping it small by being who we are you started to kind of go into the the whys people ask like why this why that i'm wondering how often you maybe sit down and 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 ask yourself why why do all of this? Why, why create the videos? Why 
jump on Twitter and answer people's questions like like the like bigger picture like 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 what's the what's the why behind 343 like why does it exist like why why even continue down this path well we have goals for one you know Brian wants to be a a first division coach and there's a lot that has to go into achieving that goal and as far as I'm concerned I caught this entrepreneurial bug back when I was an engineer at Boeing and my mom got really sick, you know, and so I dove into being her caretaker, um, spent many, many nights in the hospital and researching, you know, her very rare condition. And just, I, I just woke up to the realities of there's a lot of healthcare system problems in the country and you hear about it, you know, just watching CNN or the news or reading the paper, but I experienced it firsthand. And, and when it was something that hit so close to home, I said, screw this, I'm going to do something about it. So that's when I launched my first company. It was an online medical record company. Uh, it didn't work. It failed. And everybody, by the way, my mom's just fine right now. So it, it, it's all okay. But, um, so you go back to why am I doing 343? And ever since then, I caught this entrepreneurial bug where like, it's like, fuck, man, I actually have the capacity to build things, to, to have an idea in my head and then go out in the real world and actually produce it, you know, make it come to life. So the second company is now 343, and that's precisely what Brian and I have done, you know, from concept to reality. And it's working, you know, we learned a lot of, or I learned a lot of lessons from the first business's failure and where a lot of things went wrong. And those lessons learned are being applied here. And I just can't go back, man. There's this one podcast I listened to, John, that's called Unemployable. And I, and I say it quite often, you know, no, because I've, I've had meetings with, 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 with MLS, uh, people in MLS, right? who are interested in seeing, you know, they're probing to see if I want to work with them or something of that nature. And I confess to them. I'm, I'm like, listen, guys, I'm unemployable. You, I'm not into the nine to five. You know, it's just not me. I have to have my own, my own gig, my own machine, my own, uh, yeah, my own business. And so that's why, that's why we keep going, man. That's why. <laughs> it's it's funny you mentioned that too, and and just that kind of backstory for everybody. I I I've been making trips down to meet with Gary and to watch Brian and training sessions and watch games. And now with Joey and Danny at LAFC and LA galaxy trips are becoming more and more frequent, but yeah, going back to the, not the traditional nine to five, we conduct business at restaurants at <laughs> over coffee and at ridiculous times. We have conversations over the phone at 11 o'clock at night. Uh, it, it's just, it's all over the place and it, it's, it's funny. Uh, I want to know what your biggest struggle is, though, with, and it could be with 343, it, it, it could be bigger than that, it could be a, a gripe with, with uh, U.S. soccer, maybe it's your day job, what do you struggle with? Well, if we want to get philosophical, I struggle with life, you know, I, I think I, I struggle with the human condition, you know, what's it all about, you know, why am I here, uh, yeah, what's the purpose? What is all of this that's around us? And that's kind of what got me into the field of physics to begin with, you know, those sorts of questions. So that's really, if you want to get crazy about it, you know, that's that's my response. But uh, on a more practical sense, um, yeah, I think the the first thing that comes to mind is is three four three, and how to, my biggest struggle is how to 
how to find good people, man, how to find great people who, who share our goals, who, whose goals we can help fulfill, you know what I mean? And, and they can help fulfill ours and, and together we can build something that hasn't been built before and build something remarkable. But for that, you need good people, dude. And it's hard. And that's part of the reason why the team is so small as well. Um, because it hasn't been for lack of opportunity, you know, uh, regular emails are sent into my e- email inbox. Like we talked about earlier about, Hey, let's partner up. Let's do X. Let's partner up. Let's do Y or, Hey, I want a guest post on your blog, which we need guest posts. We need content, you know, but when I read their, their submitted articles, it just doesn't, that's not our audience. That's not our brand. And I think there, that's, that's the biggest issue, man. So if anybody's out there who really thinks they, they get us, you know, and, and really think they can help us in our mission and please get in touch with me, man. And and hopefully we can help you achieve your goals too. It's funny. You mentioned that, that we could get like super philosophical and, and the conversations that we have when we're, when we're at restaurants or getting coffee or, or whatever are, are a lot of times not about soccer at all. Um, and they are super deep. <laughs> uh, and I kind of I kind of want you to go there. I kind of I, I kind of want to know. So, yeah, what you struggle with, you kind of answered that. But maybe in a sense what you're afraid of. And, and again, it could be soccer. It could be anything. What am I afraid of? Huh. It's weird, man. Like my conditioned response uh was failure that's the word that came in my head yeah i don't i i i don't know how to answer that question man because well I, yeah i don't know man i don't know and failure can be applied across a broad spectrum right failure with my personal relationships uh be it friends um my girlfriend, um, family, um, business. So failure on all those fronts and, and how to manage risk is also a big thing that I get hung up on a lot of times. So when you approached me uh, a little over two years ago about, no, about two years ago maybe, about doing our first coaching conference, I was all about it, you know, and then my mind kind of immediately goes to, okay, what are the risks involved here? You know, because everything costs money, John, as you know, you have to pay speakers, you have to uh, get hotel rooms for everybody, you have to uh, rent the conference room, you have to provide food and drink for everybody, you have to get the audio guy, the, the video guy. So we're ta- we're talking a hefty chunk of change to execute something like this, and we don't know what the what the interest level is. We don't know how many uh, coaches or colleagues are going to come to the conference to to pay the bills, so to speak. And you know this, and this is something I've been talking to you about a long time. Like I want to actually publish, you know, what our budget is and what all the numbers look like, and people will be able to see like we just break even on these things, you know, and just barely. So all the way leading up to that or the player camp or anything that we do, it's like, shit, like, are we okay? Or are we going to be like 
10 G's in the hole or five G's in the hole. And that comes straight out of, you know, straight out of my pocket. So what am I afraid of? From a business perspective, that's what I'm afraid of. From a life standpoint, I'm afraid of not not being great with my relationships, you know, and failing at my relationships because I'm spending too much of my time, energy on on this thing, you know. And if failure is your biggest fear, how do you how how do you think you measure success? Do you think about that at all? Do you think about like the end game, like this is going to make me happy. This is going to make me successful. This is going to make me X, Y, Z. Yeah, I think as I've gotten older, I'm 39 now, experiences. I think uh, having good experiences for me is like a measure of success, even though uh, we may fail at certain things. I always look back at these failures and I've had a shit ton of them. I never really regret them. You know, in the end, I always look at it as like, oh, but yeah, but I had this experience, you know, and that means something to me. And that's something that you carry with you the rest of your life. So that's kind of how I measure success. Um, yeah, on, on, in the business sense and in on the monetary financial set, uh, sense, I don't make a lot of money, man. I make just enough, you know. I have a roof over my head and I have to worry about food. Uh, I can put gas in my car and you've seen my car, right? And hopefully you can describe it. You can describe it to people. It's a freaking 2005 Honda Accord. It hasn't been washed in God knows how long. It has a dent on the side. So, so if people think I'm, you know, a wealthy guy, that's just not true. You know, I'm just completely average in that regard. But I don't know where I read the, this study. It said something about, you know, people have been studying happiness for a long time. And said something like, you know, once you exceed uh, $70,000 a year, which is kind of like where I'm hovering around, once you ex- exceed 70000 bucks a year, um, everything's just like accounting now. There's no more, you know, you satisfied your basic needs and it's not like making 170 or 270 or 370 bring or 3.7 million brings you anything else. And I haven't experienced that firsthand, obviously, but I'm okay and and as i've made more money and i made more money in the past when i was an engineer i was in the six figure range there is no there's no increase man there's no increase so yeah i already lost track of what your question was but yeah success experiences you know and and just uh just growth you know human growth it's funny you, you mentioned the the differences between like 70,000 and, and six figures I think it was Kevin Kelly, and I forget where where I listened to him talk about it, but he was talking about the differences between a millionaire and a billionaire and, and the types of experiences that you have as a millionaire versus a billionaire, and they're not much different. A, a millionaire wears the same clothes as a billionaire, and, and it was just it was just interesting to hear somebody of that caliber speak on 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 that subject. Um, and another another thing too, talking going back to the similarities between you and Brian. Brian also drives the same color Honda Accord <laughs> as uh, as you do, which is which is funny. Um, uh, I want to know maybe some of the the more untraditional things that you've done in order to to get three four three kind of started, and 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 maybe the car alarm on the two thousand five Accord. <laughs> um, 
some of the more untraditional things that you did to to get three four three to where it is now, and and, and maybe the, the question I've written down is what rules should or could could be broken when it when it comes to business or or soccer or 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 things in, in that nature. Rules being broken. Well, I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure what I what I think I can say is I just feel maybe I'm wrong. I feel like I'm bringing a different set of eyes to uh, the business of soccer. Um, and right now, our primary business drive is education. You know, online education and brand building. Right. So those two things. And I look at youth clubs or or even MLS franchises across the board and i see them really not conducting marketing at a at a industry standard level you know and and i've learned a lot and i'm not making anything up by the way okay so i i'm i'm learning all this stuff you mentioned seth godin earlier so i've been reading seth for the better part of 10 years maybe more and you know through seth you get introduced digitally to through tons of other marketing or business leaders and I've just been studying them, you know, they're like my digital mentors. So I'm applying kind of like the rules uh, of that industry and I'm applying them to soccer. And I think a lot of clubs in this country, maybe even across the world, I don't know, they're not they're not doing that. They're not doing that. And I think we are um, not to not the level of, you know, the guys that I'm learning from at all. But whatever little I learn, I try to implement and I think we've gotten kind of okay at it, you know, better, certainly better than our competitors. And that's kind of one of our differentiators, you know, aside from the obvious uh, uh, show me your product thing. That's a phrase that I always use where, yeah, we've been showing Brian's product on the field, you know, through, through video, through YouTube and it just shows that we're not we're not bullshitting you. We actually do this stuff, and we know how to do it. Um, and I think that's lacking in the market too. You know, most people, most coaches out there, are probably maybe some of them are doing good work, but their product's not being shown. You know, so how do you actually know that somebody is good or not because they wrote a book or because they have a website uh, because they're saying the right things on social media? You know, to me that doesn't demonstrate anything. Um, you really have to show your product. And I think that coupled with coupled with the marketing stuff, coupled with my background in the sciences, you know, and, and I'm very strategic and, and I kind of apply the scientific method to everything that we do and couple, coupled, yeah, with, with my super comfort with numbers, you know, when you're dealing with financial things, that helps set us apart a little bit. That's my opinion anyway. So as far as breaking the rules, I don't, I don't think we're breaking the rules. We're applying the rules of other, other industries to our industry. And that may look like breaking the rules because nobody in our industry is doing it. Earlier this morning, you and I were talking about uh, Pep and him being in or at Manchester City now and, and press conferences and different types of media and the, and the questions that they're asking and and you I, I even think recently have have kind of gone on rants on on people need to dive deeper and ask more questions 
what types of questions should people be asking here in the United States? And, and maybe maybe it's not limited to journalists. Maybe what should fans of the game be asking of journalists? What should journalists be asking of coaches, of players? That's tough, man. That's tough because um, I usually wing it, you know, when we're together or when Brian and myself get together or Danny or Joey or Choco or colleagues, you know, and you went to see the Galaxy game yesterday and you, you saw me chatting with with a, a sports agent there and just it all comes naturally, you know, and, and you're, I'm just digging into whatever reservoir of experience and knowledge that I have to ask these questions. And, and it just seems to me the way that soccer is covered in the country. So I'm going to talk about reporters first and journalists. It just seems that, uh, the gentlemen in those professions, they're, they're like good at their profession, which is reporting and, and perhaps journalism. But I don't, I don't see them as having, uh, that re- that deep well of knowledge of the game to be able to really probe uh, their interviewee, you know. So first off, the lead-off question to a coach in a press conference sometimes is a little generic, you know. And when the coach answers it with a with a platitude or a typical one-liner or a cliche, there's no follow-up. And if there is follow-up, the follow-up's also very shallow, you know. So the penetration uh, of trying to get out, of trying to dig into the reservoir of knowledge that uh, Caleb Porter has, it's just not there. And sometimes for me anyways, it's very frustrating because the, the common fan isn't being educated and that produces this vicious cycle where then the common fan doesn't know what the right questions are. You know, so one of my recommendations has always been to uh, listen into press conferences in Spain or Argentina or Portugal or Germany. And then we run into the bilingual, trilingual issue where most of our fan base here in the States may not, you know, be fluent or may not have an, another language under the belt or may not want to put in the effort, you know, to go and listen to a pep speak when he was in Germany or pep speak when he was in Spain or a Bielsa or a Martino or whoever. And then that's where we're at, man. And even the English press, and this is something we were talking about earlier, right? The English press isn't a whole whole lot deeper than the United States. Um, especially when we're comparing it to the, the Latin based countries, uh, there, they, it just seems, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's part of the culture where, I don't know what it is, John, but they really probe the shit out of their coaches and players outside of of the United States and and to a certain degree England. So I'm I'm curious if if you had an opportunity to ask a question of Pep of Mourinho at a press conference, what what would you ask? Oh man, Jesus! I don't know because uh, it depends on on the circumstances of the game. Sometimes, if I want to make it game focused, which usually press conferences are, um, I know what I'd ask if I had them on one on one, like in a sixty minute environment, like a sixty minute environment. I'd be asking the same sorts of questions you're asking. You know, I want to get down to the soul of the coach, and not necessarily soccer specific, but tie in the soccer specific 
to who he is as a human being, because that's really when what it, what coaching comes down to is uh, it's a human relationship between you and your players, right? And and yeah, you can talk about four three three and four two three one and probe about you know what's the role of of your defensive midfielder uh, here versus what it was with Busquets in Barcelona, what it was in Bayern Munich. Uh, why has it changed? And Pep can say, oh, the players are different. Then you you follow up and you say, well, how are the players different? Why? What's different between uh, Busquets and so and so or or Aguero and and Messi or whatever? And and if he says, well, the obvious, you know, and no, that's not good enough, Pep. Like, tell me, like can Aguero play, you know, a false nine? Why or why not? Why do you see him in that circumstance? Why do you not see him in that circumstance? But that's on the soccer side, and that's not too difficult, and it does offer some insight, but I want to get down to who is Pep first and then tie it into to the soccer because that leads to more insight. Um, yeah, man, I, it's a tough question. You've asked me a tough question. I, I guess I'd have to be in the situation to know. I'm going to get to a, a another question in just a second, but to kind of go back off off of what you what you just were talking about, you've talked before about how Brian and yourself, I think, uh, you get you guys attempt to be the best friend on the field, but also in a way where where you can be the the best friend that kind of can lay down lay down the law as well. Uh, and, and there's two images that come to my mind when I think about Brian and then, um, top level managers as well. And it's uh, most recent example with Brian and, and Misa, one of the players that has been with Brian since uh, he nine years old, eight years old. I don't, I don't know how old Misa was when they first started. Now he's almost 16. So seven years, um, in Mexico, Misa picks up a red card. At the end of the game, he's on national television crying, and Brian is right there with his arm around him. To me, I immediately think of uh, Mourinho, and he's uh, outside of the stadium, and his players are crying, and, and Mourinho gets out of his car and walks over, and, and, and the camera, all cameras on him, and, and arms open wide, hugging, consoling, being the best friend. Uh, how... how how did you guys come across that method, I guess? Is that something that's just been natural for, for you and for Brian to, to have that kind of best friend mentality? Or is it something that, that you guys learned along the way? I know Brian studied top coaches for, for years and years and years, but is that something that he picked up or is just born with it? Yeah, nature versus nurture, the eternal question. Um I don't know. I've I've asked that of myself for quite a while. And really quick, going back to what you just said about Brian consoling Misa on national television and all that. But if you notice, when Misa got the red card and walked off the field, Brian didn't even acknowledge him. You know what I'm saying? So that was that was the best friend and and the authoritarian, right? So it was during the match. He did this. It was stupid, right? Hurts the team. He should know better. You're trying to develop a a, a solid professional. And it was a mistake, right? And Brian just ignored him when Misa walked off the field. But then after the game, off the field, 90 minutes are done, human human to human, you know, completely different thing. But, yeah, where is that learned? And I'm kind of the same way in the classroom, you know what I'm saying? Absolute best friend. I'm just, you know, one of my opening lines to my students is, 
hey, listen, don't don't call me doctor, professor, none of these things. I'm just another human being like you guys are. Maybe I know a little bit more about this physics thing than you guys. And I'm going to try and, you know, mentor or escort you through through the semester. Um, but if somebody's like, you know, making noise or, you know, being rude, then I can be ruthless. But most of the time I'm not because I think they just sense there's this undercurrent to this guy where there's a line, you know what I mean? Like he's totally cool, but he has the potential and, and is not scared of just crushing you if he needs to crush you. And the same thing with Brian, but where does it come from? Again, I don't know. I always look to my experience growing up and my mom being very into academics and our success academically. So since, I don't know, I was five years old till up until maybe I was in high school, um, she would sit down with us or sit down with, uh, yeah, sit down with us, but she would sit down with me on the weekends and like do homework with us, you know, make sure that we did our stuff and teach us. Cause she was a teacher when she was younger in Argentina. So she would do that and she was pretty strict about it, right? You need to know your math. You need to know your spelling. You need to know all of these things. And she'd force us to do it. You have to come, you can't go out and play. And if you don't do your work, you're not going playing soccer on the weekends. You can't go to your game. But then when it was outside the academic world, very loving, very nurturing person. So I don't know if that influences you. I imagine it does. Um, so that's the only thing I can attribute it to, man. I, I don't know what else. And, and obviously, you know, once we started implementing that in our own professions, him and coaching me and teaching, and we saw the efficacy of it all, how successful or how, how well it works. We just said, shit, I'm going to get even better at it, you know? And so you refine it, refine it, refine it. And now, you know, 10, 15 years into it, I think we're okay. We're okay at it. You, you mentioned the, the carrot for you guys as a kid was kind of like, you guys can't go outside and play. What was, was the carrot was, was soccer, the carrot when you guys were, were kids? Yeah. 100% man. If we don't do our thing, the soccer ends. And so we had to do it, man. We had no choice. Where were where would you guys go play? I, I don't even know. Were you born in Argentina? When I interviewed uh, Mauricio, the the head coach at Long Beach State, he he mentioned that you guys are from the same hometown. I don't know if that means that your families are originated from there, your mom, your dad, or if you and Brian were actually even born and spent time in Argentina. No, we were both born and raised here our, our whole life, Southern California. Uh, our parents are an extended family, all from Argentina. Everybody, we're alone here. My parents immigrated. Uh, alone you know 20 something year old got married and just took a cruise ship all the way from from Argentina to San Francisco you know my dad told that story over and over and over again my mom my mom's like his number one achievement is coming to this country not being with me you know it was sort of like the running joke so he always talks about the date it all happened and yeah but we were born and raised here um, as far as where we would play yeah, whatever youth as teenagers, a club team or or pickup ball with all our friends. Like we had, we played pickup every single weekend for like five hours a day. Five hours on Saturday, five hours on Sunday. And if we had a game, a club game or whatever, we end the club game, and then all of our friends, you know, we'd say, okay, we're meeting at Garden Hill Park, and we're gonna scrap it out, you know. So it could be five guys that showed up. It could be twenty guys. It really ranged pickleball five hours every single weekend and so naturally my mom my parents knew that that was our that was our thing you know so don't take away the soccer or threaten us with taking away the soccer and then we'll go to war for 
for her. You and Brian obviously have excellent soccer minds. Why didn't you guys make it as players? What was what was what was missing? Great question, man. Uh, for me, I attribute it to three things. One, uh, perhaps just straight up not good enough. Okay, straight up. I don't like thinking that way, but now that I see our players like like Amisa, like Aefra Alvarez, like a Charlie Anguiano, and I compare them at their age to what I remember me being, it's I'm a clown. You know, I'm a complete clown. But at the same time, but what keeps what keeps me kind of thinking, oh, maybe what if, is that I look at the other players who aren't Charlie, who aren't Misa, who aren't Efra, who aren't Jorge, who aren't Brian's current crop. I look at the other players who are playing at top level and sometimes who even make it pro in this country. And I'm like, you're joking. You're joking. Like, like, yes, I could have done that. So there's that one avenue. I'm probably wrong. Probably wasn't good enough. Uh, the second thing is, oh, crap. I'm losing my train of thought. Uh Oh, yeah, yeah. So for me, anyways, I was, I physically developed really late, you know, and my best friend, his name's Robert Bajkowski. What's up, Robbie? Uh, He's in Oregon now. He moved up over there. But he went to high school with me. We played varsity soccer, whatever, uh, since we were freshmen. And then he saw me one day, we lost touch. He saw me one day in college when we were college students. So I was like 19 there. So two years into college already. I was 19. And I was still five foot seven, like 150 pounds. You know, I had like, like seriously, something was wrong. My parents were worried and things like I, no, no, because I was 19, didn't have like facial hair yet or anything. So like my puberty was very delayed, right? Or just very slow and lethargic. And then all, and by the way, at 17, 18, that's when I tried to walk on at Cal State Fullerton. They saw this little pipsqueak. Yeah, okay, you can hit a ball, a free kick, or whatever, but you know what they recruit here, right? So they told me no my freshman year, and I never went back. You know, that was kind of, that was kind of a, a big blow um, to myself. So I dedicated myself to athletics. So that actually, that was the second reason, right, is they said no, and I didn't stick with it. You know, so that when at age 19, 20, when all of a sudden I had this growth spurt, and now I'm 6'2", animal, right? And when I was playing Mexican League in, in L.A., all of a sudden I can dominate physically as well uh, as with the ball skills. I never went back to Cal State Fullerton really and, and said, I want to fucking play. Um, so there's the late bloomer thing, right? The physical maturity. There's the mentally weakness on my part for not sticking with it and then yeah maybe the most probable thing is i wasn't good enough uh brian you're you're gonna have to interview brian as well he uh, on the grades front you know went to jc so he did play junior college ball um and then before even transferring or trying to go somewhere else just he dropped out of school you know he dropped out of school and Dick dedicated his life to coaching because he got a little flavor for coaching uh, while he was a- actually um, there. And yeah, the rest is history, man. I want to kind of tie in some of the, the stuff you, you talked about earlier with friendships and relationships. Um, you said you kind of had, it seems like you lost touch with, with Robbie, your friend who's in Oregon now. And, and I think I remember you recently saying you made a trip up 
to to visit him. Have you guys stayed in in contact over the years? And 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 what like what has that been like? Do you are do you still consider him your best friend? Or yeah, he's still my best friend, uh, which says a lot. You know, as far as my relationships are concerned, I don't have very uh, many friends. Um, and even though he's in Oregon, I still consider him my best friend. Yeah, text here and there, try to visit whenever I can. He has a family now, he has children, so uh, his priorities obviously have shifted. But absolutely, man, because I know that guy will go go to war for me, and, and I'll do the same thing. And it's hard to find people like that, you know, who who will lay it all down for you. And that's who he is to me. Um, yeah. One of the sacrifices that you, I think, have you, you think about it a lot, but but kids, you don't have any kids. You said you have a girlfriend. In the future, is that something that is on your mind, or is that is that something that you've just come to terms with that it's not part of of your plan? No, yeah. Well, if I if I rewind the tape to maybe three years ago at age 36 up until maybe that age yeah i didn't really care i'm like love my freedom if i want to get on a plane to miami right now i can do it right now don't ask anybody's permission everybody knows that story right and now at 39 and especially with a lot of things in my life kind of lining up and seem seem things seem to be more in order like there's a path I'm more settled and you start thinking about, well, what else is there to the human experience, you know? And it just seems like one of the ultimate things to the human experience is, yeah, having children. So that's been on my mind and definitely not discounting it, but there is fear, you know, and you asked me earlier about fear and I guess that's, that's a fear right there, a fear of that sort of commitment and responsibility, you know, keep in mind for 39 years, I don't have that level of commitment for anything, even though, you know, you have a business and you have a career and you have, uh, you have responsibilities, but that's a serious one. You know, that's something that's life altering, um, from what I hear and, and I believe so that's, I'm still scared. I'm still scared of, of having that responsibility, but at the same time, you know, I don't want to be, you know, a 90 year old man, you know, on my deathbed saying, you know, having that regret saying, why not? Why, why didn't I do that? So yeah, absolutely. I'm open to it. Because you haven't had in a sense skin in the game, you don't, you've never had kids playing on the teams that you've been a part of, or that Brian's been a part of, you've been able to kind of sit back and, and just observe and the interactions between parent and son, um, son and coach type type things from your perspective what's advice that you could give to parents like what what do you see that maybe parents are missing uh when they drop their kids off from from five to seven at practice yeah uh i don't want to say objective versus subjective right because my judgment is still subjective on on their kids but uh it's kind of, a, yeah, I just see it through a different lens, man. And I, th I, I hope that's, that's common sense, right? If, if your kid is playing, you just see the game is completely different than what a, how a coach sees it or how somebody else's 
yeah, parent A sees parent B's kid as X, and then parent B sees his own kid as Y, you know, and that happens constantly. So what can I, what advice can I offer them? It's a long process, you know, if we're talking about development, that's, that's the number one thing, just don't, don't look at what's happening in one action in a game. Don't even look at what happened in one game. Don't and don't even look at what happened in a whole season either. Because there's 10, 15 seasons that you're going to go through before you come out the other side. And I think it's the whole process that that should matter, not any isolated action. If you're asking me to give advice, that that's what I would give. And I think that's applicable across every every walk of life. Um, yeah, I don't know. Well, I don't know. Maybe you can follow up with that. Maybe talk about the, the type of support that you see parents giving to kids. Uh, and if it's, if that type of support is detrimental, if it's helpful in, in that regard. And I don't know if it maybe, maybe even in what you're experiencing at the university, I don't know if you still see that type of interaction between student and, and parent or the difficulties there. Yeah. I don't have that answer, man. That's the short answer. I don't know. Uh, I think bottom line, just leave the fucking kid alone. I think that's probably, that probably is the correct answer to the vast majority of people, but it's always case by case, you know, and, and that's really the challenge of a coach and, and even the parent. It's like, cause it's all culture based as well. So I don't know how to answer that question in my experience. And I know this is going to piss a lot of people off and I'm going to say it anyways. Right. It's just, I've seen that the parent I'm going to talk about Latino culture, right? Latino culture is super critical, super emotional, super passionate. Uh, they're not the best Stoics, okay? So it just seems like that culture applied to their children, their kids, makes for a better foundation, mental foundation and flavorful foundation for being a top player. And the Stoic approach, uh, the Stoic culture seems to be more of a detriment uh, to youth players and having them develop that sort of passion, flavor, ferocity, assassin uh, mentality. They're weak, you know, they're very soft. And then when parents try to apply a non-stoic approach, more the passion, flavor, it's just not, I don't want to say it's not genuine or, or authentic, but it's just not the same because it's not, their culture you know and it doesn't work either it doesn't work so i just start thinking about getting out of this country and if you have professional player aspirations and having that sort of culture inculcated into your kid you have to get out of the country because i don't think the parent can necessarily do it they have i think of christian Polistic maybe and Obviously, I'm not in Germany. I'm not at Dortmund. I heard your interview with, with the dad. And it seems just with the kid being immersed with his neighbors and his fellow players and his coach and his club being immersed in the culture, kind of like how I just described, where it's a very it's a pressure cooker, you know, and they know how to be best friend, but authoritarian, just with the right intonations. 
that can make some a white boy you know into into something else you know some of the qualities that i like to see in players and and don't get me wrong that's not to say that i said white boy it has nothing to do with with race or color it's a cultural thing right it's a cultural thing so eminem's a white boy you know but he was immersed in 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 a different culture than what you think of as typical suburban america and look at what he was able to accomplish and produce and, and his contemporaries, his colleagues consider him, you know, one of the greats, you know, and yeah, so that, I don't know, man, I, already, I don't even know what your question was, dude. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was, that, that was exactly what I was, uh, what I was going for. And, and you've, you've talked about it before, um, maybe not in an interview or, or, I'm not sure where where I've heard you where I've heard you discuss it, but I like the coddling and 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 you kind of got lit up the other day actually for for mentioning the word soccer mom and, and that's and and that's becoming like a bad word to to some people, um, but again it's that it's that culture that has the problem with it. it's it's that culture that identifies with those aspects of it that are having the problem with the with those words, and and I think I I can kind of relate in a sense to having a, a mashup of cultures, having a, uh, an immigrant for a dad from Croatia and, and my mom being American, my dad not being around as, as often as my mom was. And so I kind of got both sides of it, but because it wasn't 100% immersed, I became out or I, I came out like, you know, a suburban white boy, <laughs> uh, where if it would have been more like my dad's way, it would have been, yeah, left alone, learn on your own, struggle, those types of things. And, and, and that's what his culture was. And, and if you think about now, like the Croatians and, and what they're, the, the types of players they're producing from their culture, it's exactly, that's exactly what you're speaking of when you think of, or when you, when you mention Latino and yeah, it's not, it's not race based, it's, it's culture based. So you have a follow up to. No. Yeah. That's what it comes down to, you know, and, and people say, well, we don't have that culture in this country and that lights a fire inside of me because that's just not true. It's when you look at MLS players or the college players or uh, the, you know, development academy players and that they don't have it right because they don't have the culture. Well, no, it's the culture that I'm saying is the wrong culture in quotes for soccer are the ones who who are privileged enough to get to those levels. You know, the system is, is architected in such a manner that it's, uh, for lack of a better term, you know, it's the white boys who kind of like make it or, or you don't have to be like a white boy. It could be an African American or, or a Latino, but an African American or a Latino that comes from that suburban, uh, culture. Right. And so, it's not good enough and but we do have a huge swath of uh, of people a large demographic who is soccer first who in the household they are struggling socioeconomically and and they live for the weekends to watch america on tv or chivas and or south american squads or whoever and but that huge demographic is is the one that finds the most friction points in our system and fall out you know and they don't they don't make it through because you know they don't have the money to pay for club and 
they don't have the grades to go to college and so they don't they don't have the political wherewithal you know to leverage certain uh, or, or yeah leverage certain mechanics in the system you know and get grant get favors from people because a lot of soccer works that way you know a lot of it's not merit-based at all you know it's who you know and who scratches who's back and when you're from a low socioeconomic status you're not necessarily uh well versed in how to how to do those sorts of things how to mobilize yourself and you don't have the resources you know and so you have nothing to offer people as opposed to you know if you're a lawyer or a doctor or uh you're a mayor or something of that nature then all of a sudden you have something to offer uh, and trade you know for the advancement of of your kid so to speak so we're living in that world man where it's the good cultures, the good soccer cultures, they don't make it here. The the newbie soccer culture, they're they're the ones who make it, and so our our product reflects it. You started to talk about the like the the back scratching and and the political influence that that, that some people have and and. I've had conversations with you and we don't need to get into the specifics of those conversations uh, about what happens, what you've seen uh, behind the scenes uh, here in, in the United States. Before you started 343, so 2009, you had no idea any of this stuff is going on and now we're in 2016. What have you changed your mind about? Like, knowing, knowing what you know now, what yeah what what's different uh the biggest thing i was wrong about and i've changed my mind about is what is the problem in this country and in 2009 i came in thinking like the biggest problem or problems were uh poor coaching and yeah things like pay to play and the system like because college back then was still kind of like the primary conduit to prof a professional career and you know college has a three-month season uh and and i didn't think very highly of the coaching that was happening in college either so you couple all those factors together right and that's what i thought was the primary issue and i was wrong i was wrong um then you see people see me talk about this daily right in the social media circles what's wrong is those things are all an effect right effect of an underlying cause yeah and the underlying cause is we don't have promotion and relegation in the country and and that's something i'm ashamed to say that it took me so long to realize um how just that one topic that one uh economic policy is the reason pay to play is so prevalent is the reason uh college is such a factor is the reason coaching is so poor is the reason uh the game is is driven to a huge extent by politics and you can't escape politics it's everywhere and corruption is absolutely everywhere across the world but in this country it seems exacerbated you know by the fact that yeah our economic policy as far as soccer is concerned is closed and and it's only the people in the inner circle who 
achieve advancement and the people who don't ha- aren't in the inner circle they don't achieve advancement so that's what i've changed my mind about man i'm i'm on that when people talk about promotion relegation they 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 probably think about like yeah a table moving up and down what are some of the other moving parts of promotion relegation or what are the driving factors behind promotion relegation and i'm thinking of of you know other ways that you could describe that type of uh that type of environment or the advantages disadvantage of of having or not having it yeah so that's one of the biggest myths here oh promotion relegation is just like a league format you know a competition format and it's that completely misses the point promotion relegation is an a way of uh, it's economic policy right it's it's how the game is regulated in the country just like how you know the financial sector is regulated just how the food and drug administration uh regulates their markets and it just has wide-reaching consequences, man. So, so if you think about any industry, you think about Google, right, which everybody's familiar with. They're the behemoth in the search market. They're the behemoth in a lot of sectors. But they don't have a right to continue being that monopoly or having that power position forever. Um, either does Starbucks, either does Best Buy, either does Brinkman, you know, barbecues or whatever. Everybody has to compete in the marketplace for for the consumer, for attention, for all of that stuff. And then you look at the sporting landscape, like uh, the NFL, Major League Baseball, or you can't build a competing product. They have a monopoly forever. And that's an issue when it comes to soccer, okay? Because when it comes to soccer, you have a global competition, meaning our domestic players, they play on a national team that then play globally. And that's the biggest uh, driver of interest, our national team uh, games, not domestic games for everybody across the world. World Cup is the biggest thing. Then intercontinental uh, competition is the next biggest thing. Then the player uh, transfer market is another huge thing that's going on in the world. And when you look at the other American sports, that doesn't really exist. So they exist in this sort of bubble where they can get away with, with what they're doing, you know. And, and in soccer, the rest of the world has this open market promotion relegation economic policy that essentially at its core uh, really is a, a merit-based program for everybody in the community. The best coaches, you know, can move up and down as their teams uh, succeed or fail. The players can move up or down divisions and leagues as their team uh, succeed or fail. The front offices and all the employees of the club move up and down as their team succeeds or fail. Their supporters who are vested into the club by purchasing uh, all the products of the club, going to the stadium, uh, all of that. Their their hopes and dreams lie with the success or failure of their club. Um, so you have you know water finding its own level right uh, in the rest of the world. The best rise, the worst fall. In the United States, we don't have that. You know, we don't have that, and that affects not only our domestic product, which it does to a great extent, as our, our past conversations have uh, touched on, 
But when it comes to international competition, all of a sudden you have, and again, people are going to get pissed, but you have all like these white boys or these suburban kids, you know, getting to the national team. Uh, and they're now already been poorly developed for all the reasons we touched on again. Uh, and they didn't really merit their way in a in a doggy dog soccer market, you know, maybe they're getting political favors here or there, or one has more marketing appeal than the other, uh, or things of that nature. And then you're putting those guys up against, you know, the Brazilians who came from the favelas or, or even in Germany, because you talk about wealth and socioeconomic status, you know, Germany is a very well off to do country. And many of those players aren't, you know, dirt poor, you know, growing up, but their culture is pretty fucking ruthless you know they demand excellence when fucking mercedes-benz daimler chrysler fucking bmw german engineering is notorious for a reason you know they want perfection right and they demand that of their players too you know so yeah even though those players are coming from maybe affluent backgrounds guess what their culture and environment looks like it's dog eat dog either you're good enough or get the fuck off the field you know and that's not happening in america so Jesus. So in a nutshell, yeah, that that's that's what's happening with promotion relegation. That's just some stupid competitive format, you know, for a league. I'm going to kind of change gears. <laughs> I, can, I can see the veins in his forehead. Uh, so just imagining... Uh, a conference, a, a 343 summit that, that we put together. And, and maybe someday we get to this, this, this level where we have somebody like a Jurgen Klinsmann as a, as a keynote speaker. So if you had the chance to, to, to introduce Jurgen to, to the group, how, how would you introduce him? Oh man. Well, first off, I'd, I'd probably want to have a couple sit downs with him, you know, in the months leading up to the conference. So I get to know him as a person. Um, because then, then whatever I say is, is meaningful, you know, is more authentic. And since I don't have a personal relationship with him to answer your question, it'd be, it'd be pretty lame introduction. You know, it's like you're reading off, you know, accomplishments and then maybe giving my opinion of what I think of, of the gentleman, which is a winner, you know, that'd probably be my theme. He's a winner and he wants other people to have that sort of same mentality that he does. So yeah, it'd probably be a, a little resume and then maybe that underlying tone of this is who the man is. He's a winner and hopefully he, he can help us all be better winners. A, a thought just popped into my head too. When you, when you think about somebody like Jurgen right now, because he's our U S national team coach, that's what we think of immediately. When, when we hear his name, we think of, of either his successes or failures, uh, as our coach and 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 i think we we tend to forget about like his great playing history so when you say winner yeah he has like a 50 percent winning win loss you know ratio whatever but he was ruthless as a player and when you think about somebody like uh maradona or or, or something like that and and potentially landon donovan for for us you you forget about that when when they turn the the corner and try to become a coach is that fair? Is it is it is that good for us to 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 only judge Jurgen from a coaching perspective? I think so. I think that actually is fair. Um, 
with a couple caveats and, and exceptions. So yeah, as a player, he had a certain mentality. You know, he was my favorite player growing up, by the way. And that's not why I protect him, people. So fuck off, okay? <laughs> but um, yeah, whatever. We we're talking about pickup games on the weekends. I'd be cleansy, you know, or or, or Gary Lineker, right? But <laughs> but I'd be cleansy, cleansy, and yeah, ruthless. Always wanted to win. Never gave up. Never had this poopy pants attitude. If you ever got subbed off, right, you fucking kick a trash can, look it up on YouTube. He's fucking furious at, at his coach. Um, but, yeah, man, like once you're playing – so your playing career can develop a couple of things, in my opinion. One is your mentality. Uh, secondly is we're talking about that reservoir of experience and knowledge that one can draw on. And he has that, you know, so when you want to connect with another human being in your field, like a, a player, he can tap into that and give him personal stories um, that can really, really light a fire under a player's ass, like, like whoever, Dempsey or Yedlin or, or a Jossie. And he has the credibility, you know, to have his players believe him from a player's perspective. But yeah, man, once once you become a coach, that's just a different animal, a completely different animal. And it almost has nothing to do with your successes or failures as a player, like zero, uh, essentially, aside from those little experiences. It's a different skill set, dude. You are now a teacher. You are now not a practitioner with your legs. Um, you have to translate your ideas into a working plan for the team and then be able to train uh, those ideas into your players through you know, orchestrated sessions, uh, well-architected sessions, and have your players buy into it. So it's a, it's a leadership sort of uh, position where they just have to want to bleed for you. And part of that is, again, your charisma you know, as a leader. Like, are you truly a leader or are they just listening to you because you're the boss and if you don't follow the boss's orders then you're kind of fired and not called back in so can we judge jurgen strictly from a coaching perspective i think so man he's a coach he's a coach now keep in mind he's a great player but he's a coach and if he sucks he sucks and and he should be ousted and just for the record uh you media peeps uh do I think he's a fantastic, excellent, you know, coach, uh, tactician? Absolutely not. Absolutely. I think completely run of the mill, you know, and is that what we want for our national team? No, I'd like, you know, top, 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 top talent. I like Sampaoli. I like Bielsa. I like a Pep. I like a Mourinho. I like a Klopp. I like a Tuchel. Or those sorts of guys would be my preference. Um, but in spite of him being average or completely mediocre he's doing this country a service from my perspective of trying to uh, change the mentality of of both the player and and more importantly the general public the general public's mentality so he's trying to bring that german culture that latino culture that global soccer culture to uh the the suburban culture in this country and he's he's facing a lot of resistance so that's why i support him you know is because i think that's a huge component to this country's development and we need him you know and if we don't have him and if we don't have one of those world-class coaches coming in who are we bring in are we bringing in you know uh, bruce arena are we bringing him back 
or a Bob Bradley or somebody from MLS or some somebody else who, in my opinion, and forgive me, but it's my opinion, is not you know that truly world-class level manager. If we bring those guys in and they're just average and they don't do anything to the development of the mentality and culture of the country, then we've lost. So I think out of two points, Jurgen has one. And I think out of two points, those other guys have zero. And I think out of two points, Biesa and Paoli are a full two points. So I'd rather stick with Jurgen. Is there an example that comes to mind of somebody who who absolutely cannot wear uh, a muzzle and, and cannot be contained uh, that you... You, yeah, I mean, I, maybe I'm answering my own question now that I'm thinking about it out loud, but that you would like to see see here and and, and maybe because they, they can't wear muzzles is the reason why they, they never could be here. Well, everybody has a muzzle, okay? Even Mourinho has a muzzle on him, okay? Like if he really want to let go, he lets go, you know? And you just can't say the things that, you just can't say those things, right? You can't say... Everybody in this room is a moron who doesn't know what the fuck they're talking about. Who You can't say that, right? And for good reason, too, because that's not their profession. If you're a journalist or reporter, that's not your profession. You're not supposed to know, right? But um, there's a lot of hinting at that, you know? And, and in this country, we're so sensitive, you know, to what can be said or what cannot be said. The most recent is Hope Solo, Right. Calling Sweden out after they lost, calling Swedish tactics or the people as cowards or whatever, which is from a sporting perspective, we've played pickup ball, we've played you know games on the weekend. That sort of terminology and language is used between players, is used between colleagues in the arena, and you can't bring that truth to the public though for for one for whatever reason. So Hope says that one little phrase, right? And yeah, there was accumulation of other things too, but we don't like it. We get rid of it because it seems like the suburban household can't tolerate it. And so when judging coaching talent and who can be a coach, who do we want for the national team coach or an MLS coach, the bean counters and politicians and the PR people, you know, kind of driving those discussions uh, are coming at it from that context, and yeah, like if they study up on Bielsa or or a Mourinho, right, and the most infamous one, it's like they probably ask themselves, "We can't control this guy, so do we? Do we want to take this risk?" And they probably have the same fear I have when we were talking about risk mitigation earlier. It's like they probably say no. They probably say it's a lot safer to get Bruce in here, to get Bob in here. Or to get Jurgen, and they thought Jurgen was X, and he is X, but he's giving you a flavor for Y, and they're like, shit, what do we do now? You know? So, yeah, like the world class managers, I think you're kind of in trouble. You, you can't bring them over. Pep has probably been the most diplomatic of them all um, in how he handles, you know, public, public relations, but he's still going to be dropping a lot of a lot of things that I think the American public wouldn't want to hear. I'm going to kind of change gears again. And, um, one of the things I've, I've, I've picked up from you along the way of the last seven years, 
six or seven years. Uh, it, it's okay to copy. <laughs> it's, it's, it's okay to copy and, 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 and use that to perfect whatever you're, you're working on. And, and you're actually the reason why I got into podcasting. I, I had never even listened to a podcast before, <laughs> before I even recorded my first interview. When I recorded my first interview with um, Danny Lederman, at the whatever camp I was at, I never listened to a podcast before. And I, I started putting together some conversations and, and you started recommending like, Hey, listen to this show, listen to this show. And, and one of the ones that was, uh, Tim Ferriss. And I, I like one of the, the sections that he does in his podcast is just rapid fire questions. Just whatever comes to your mind, just, just answer, uh, and I want to kind of go through something like that with you right now. Uh, whatever, whatever comes to your mind. So the first question I've written down is what's impossible. Knowing the meaning of life. <laughs> We're going to get philosophical again. Um, podcasts or books or, or media that, that you would recommend that people can consume or should consume right now. On the book front, I've I really enjoyed Sapiens. Uh, shoot, I'm forgetting the author. I'm blanking on the author at the moment, but just look up Sapiens. Incredible, incredible book. Probably one of the best I've read. Uh, I like Seth Godin a lot. Probably Lynchpin is where I would start. I also like The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. And then there's a whole bunch of technical books, but we don't want to we don't want to do that. No, actually, uh, one of the, the next question I wanted to ask is outside of soccer, what, what has your attention? What, what are, what are you focusing on outside of yeah, soccer? Well, I see everything as related to soccer. Um, so I'm getting involved into this new technology of virtual reality and I'm reading a lot about that stuff online now. Um, so voices of VR podcast is one I I'm consuming, you know, on a daily basis and yeah, on the podcast front, you mentioned Tim, Ferri Tim Ferriss. I like him a lot. Joe Rogan, I've listened to a couple of times. Very bright guy. Completely changed my perception uh, of who he is, you know, just from seeing him on on uh, Fear Factor, right, and 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 the UFC. And then I, I just read a lot of marketing stuff and business books. But yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Top three players in the world right now? I think Messi. Nate. Leave him out. Leave him out. Oh, shit. He's, he's, yeah. <laughs> I like Neymar a lot, man. And, and I like Suarez a lot. And that's not, that's not me being some like Barcelona fanboy. I, re I really think they're like, they're fucking at the top, dude. So there's those two guys. Oh, man. Number three is tough, dude. Uh, a ton of people can be number three. I'm going to go with mixed disc screwed. <laughs> nice. Uh, this actually re just reminded me of, of something you got into the other day on Twitter. Um, pe people were trying to get you to talk about what your idea for a number 10 is it's not just a position it's 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 not just scoring goals it's not being the center midfielder it's maybe not even being the the focal point of the team in in some regard what's a 10 to you 10's a playmaker 
he's a playmaker and we have to be careful with that term too because you can say anybody's a playmaker right uh you can say the outside back marcelo's a playmaker jordi alba's a playmaker and yeah they are playmakers but they're not they're not the creative engine of the team so maybe that's the differentiator who is the creative engine of the team in the attacking phase so Busquets is a playmaker, but he's not the creative engine that launches the attacks. Messi could be a 10, right? So Messi's like all over the field, interchanges positions all the time. But when he goes down into midfield to get the ball from from Sergio, from Mascherano or whoever, and he's the guy who's creating, right? He's the one who's yeah, launching the attack, giving the assists, uh, uh, dribbling by people, you know, being the being the player that breaks equilibrium, you know, and players who break equilibrium can do it either through dribbling, right, um, and getting by people while they dribble, not just attacking space, or giving those incisive passes that break the lines, you know, and just kills the structure of the opponent's defense and. So whoever is doing that job, killing the structure of the opponent's defense consistently in the attacking phase, that's what a 10 is for me. What's the difference between a 10 and a crack? A crack is anybody who's just the fucking supreme baller, right? So we were talking about like a Marcelo, like a Jordi Alba in the outside back positions, and they're cracks. They are absolute cracks. You know, they're one of the best players in the world at uh, at what they do. And yeah, that's that's the difference. It could be it doesn't it's not position specific anymore. When you look back, like, yeah, like we talked about earlier, when you're 90 years old on your deathbed, when you look back, what do you what do you hope to have accomplished? What do you hope to see? What's going to make you happy when you look back? At this point, I I'm, I think how many people have I helped? I think that's, and I mean that. I really mean that. You know, when I was in my twenties, even early thirties, that really didn't hit home with me. It was a lot more self-centered and what I can build uh, or what I can accomplish. And now that that's lonely. You know what I'm saying? Even if you write a book or build a business or achieve wealth or any of the any of those sorts of things it just seems like it's very lonely and but when you help people and when you're in the service of people that's that seems that it seems like that fulfillment is much longer lasting because even after you're long and gone and i'm not talking about death just long and gone in in what you're building maybe you're retired or or things like that you can always look at kind of like your progeny or your offspring or or just your colleagues or even your people in, in front of you in the hierarchy if you've helped them significantly then then that that lasts that lasts man what's next and i'll let you answer that however however you want helping more people so right now, I don't know what the reach is. I know how many people are in our membership program. Uh, I know how many people are in our audience, but uh, I want to grow that. So like you're saying, when I look back, what is it I want to accomplish? I want to help as many people as I possibly can. Um, but by being myself, 
you know, and not being somebody else. Where for I, I'm sure that people, if they're listening to this, they they know who you are. They know what three four three is. But for anybody that this comes across, and 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 maybe they they haven't been a, a follower, where can they get more information? Where can they find you? Interact with you? How do you how do you like to interact with people? Well, they can find our site three four three coaching dot com. Um, those are the numbers three four and three. Then coaching dot com. You can find out. Pretty much all of our work is there, all of our 300 plus articles and our coaching education and services, blah, blah, blah. Um, oh, but I like interacting mostly probably via Twitter because it's kind of quick fire. It doesn't it doesn't sap a lot of my uh, brain cycles. I can quickly answer things and then get back to work um, via email. I can go into a lot further depth, but sometimes that really taps my energy a lot. And so you know, it kind of kills my efficiency through email, but I do want to have those relationships too. Cause I don't, I don't want it to be just 140 characters that, that doesn't build a meaningful relationship with anybody. And then something I want to do a little bit more of maybe in 2017 is, is whenever I'm at a game or whenever I'm traveling across the country, I kind of always want to invite people out, you know, whoever's in the area, come meet up with me. I'm at this hotel or at this restaurant or whatever. And let's, let's connect face to face and, I don't know, build a better bond. Uh, continuing my, uh, my copying and my jacking from, uh, Tim Ferriss. What's one thing you would like to ask of, of the audience of, of your followers of the people that uh, believe in three, four, three, what, what, uh, what can they do for you or for, for anybody? Tough questions, man. Really tough. Uh, man. What would help us obviously is people spreading the word, you know, we're trying to, to change the way the game operates in the country. And we want to give more opportunity and freedom to people who are in the game. So by spreading, you know, the word about us, I think we help that cause, you know, and I think they'll help that cause by doing that. So I think that's what I like to ask of them from a selfish perspective. Um, yeah, from, from, for anything else, just read, man. I think the more books you read and now you can go on audible.com and just get audio books. So whenever you're driving, you just pop that in and, and learn. So just keep, keep learning. You know, and that's how we grow as human beings. And that's what's helped me out a lot. So I'd like to ask that of the audience read more. And and my last question, and I haven't asked this actually in, in, in quite a while, I feel like. Um, but it's, it's something I, I liked to ask when I was first getting into, into podcasting. I think it would be funny because you do have a coaching history, a coaching background. What's, what's one thing that you did as a new coach? that you would never dream of doing <laughs> today. He put his, he put his hand over his eyes right now. <laughs> so I had a youth coach, man, who, you know, to try and do, his idea of developing men, strong mentality or whatever it was through like physical fitness, but I don't even call it physical fitness because it wasn't professionally driven whatsoever. It was just like him coming up with these, physically demanding torturous things for the player to do and have to survive it's like what you think of typically in like a hell week or something like that 
So he had us doing like these frog jumps, you know what I'm saying? So it's it's kind of like a burpee, you know what I'm saying? But you're just going up and down like a frog and that just starts burning your quads like you like crazy. And so when I got my first coaching gig and I didn't because I never had top level coaches, right? It's not to say that those guys weren't well intentioned, but I just did what they would do, you know? And that's one of the things I actually had like my varsity high school team that I was coaching do it and i look back and it's just embarrassing and i can't believe you asked me this stuff but it's just so bad so bad man but that's kind of where i'm coming from too is that i see that cycle where i was the product of uh my coaches and now everybody else who's kind of getting coaching gigs is a product of whoever they learn from and if the coaching level has been poor right then they're just going to repeat that sort of poor work unless they get other mentors and somehow break that cycle and that's one of the challenges but yeah that's the one dude frog jumps and that's part of the reason why i asked the question too it's it's also to kind of humanize i guess uh people humanize you to people that only see you as a twitter account or only see you as a website and 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 to also kind of bring it back down to the level like yeah everybody starts somewhere you know every every coach has the first step of their journey and and like you said it's typically going to be based off of your experiences that you had as a player or or what you know or think to be true um and, and that's kind of the reason why i why i like to ask that question now i don't know if i that was my intention when i first started asking the question but it's definitely how i want to continue to use it in the future uh hour and a half in <laughs> any any last words no, man, please, guys, do the best work you can. Uh, be open to others' opinions. Uh, be careful out there. You know, always try, if you're going to learn from somebody, please, you know, don't rely on uh, paper credentials, you know, be they licenses or be that, you know, where they've coached here in the States because, you know, that doesn't really prove anything. Uh, please ask everybody, hey, do you have video, right? A YouTube channel where you can show me, you know, your team's playing, you know, and and from that, let me judge and or be the judge of, you know, whether, yeah, definitely I want to learn from you or not. So I guess that's my parting words. I think that's very important to, to get the right teachers, you know, get the wrong teachers and then your advancement is kind of limited or capped. All right, and with that, we'll bring this episode to a close. It was a uh, it was a long time in the making. I don't know how many times we've 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 said, okay, let's record a podcast this weekend, and we spend all weekend uh, talking, 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 and and nothing gets recorded though. Um, so thank you guys for listening. Uh, like we mentioned, you can find everything on on three four three coaching dot com. That's the number three, number four, number three coaching dot com. Whether it's articles, ebooks. Um, videos you can sign up for one of the memberships either the free or the premium course um, whatever whatever you feel like is is right for you at this time in your in your coaching or playing or or even just a your 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 journey as a as a parent of a of a player um oh he's calling for the mic one more time and sign up to john's podcast on itunes give it a rating too five stars only please yeah, if you only have one star then i'm gonna uh, hopefully uh there's a uh, a glitch in your computer you can't <laughs> yeah. uh, okay with that uh we will catch you guys next time here on the 343 podcast thank you hey guys 
real quick before I let you go, I wanted to say thank you one more time for listening, for reading, and for following all of the work that we do here at 343. We really appreciate you being part of our tribe, and we hope to keep you with us for many, many, many years to come. And we look forward to connecting with you guys on Twitter, on Facebook, on 343coaching.com, and anywhere else that you see us in the future please make sure you reach out and say hello. With that, thank you, and we will see you again next time.